We made it through two days of school, and so we're, we're good. Uh, I want to, first of all, welcome you. So glad you're here today. Um, I want to welcome our fifth graders that have been going to kids' church and now come in here. This is not a demotion, I promise you. Uh, this is a good place to come to. And uh, But what we want to do is we have a, a gift we want to give to you. So if you're a fifth grader and, and uh, we have... Come up here with Miss Pam just to get a gift that we have for you. So uh, all of our fifth graders, just come on up uh, and, and get one of these. Uh, let me tell you what's in here, because you may think, well, that's not that exciting. It's nothing to eat or anything like that. We, we want to encourage you. That we, think, we think it's important that you learn how to jot down thoughts that God gives you from the Scriptures and uh, so in here, there's a little journaling book. There's also a little sheet that has uh, sermon notes on here, just things you can observe in the service. There's also a uh, central pen in there. And so this is able to help you kind of put down your thoughts and everything that's in here. Hey, can we just bless these fifth graders? That's uh, a neat thing, and welcome. Uh, and if you did not receive a card when you came in, you should have received a card. Kelly has some right here. You'll need these uh, towards the end of the service, so most of you should have got one. There's over there. Uh, you, you, uh, your life is not dependent on this card, but uh, there's one over here, Kelly, all the way over. What, what's this? Hey, Kelly, back here in the corner, too. There's... This is Kelly's exercise for the week. But uh, your life is not dependent on that card, but glad you got it. Uh, last week, we, uh, we jumped into a new series called uh, Life on Mission, and it's a, it's a look at Peter's letter of 1 Peter. And so you can look that up in your scriptures or on your device. We're going to be in chapter 2, and uh, we're going to jump into that in, in just a second. But let me kind of give you a thought as we go into this. There was a, there was a Trappist monk who was at a monastery, and, and part of being at this monastery... You could only say two words every three years that you're there, okay? Only two words every three years that you're there. So the first three years came up for this monk, and so he, he says his two words. He says, bad bed. And then he goes back and he does his chores in the monastery for the next three years. And then he comes out after those three years. So now he's six years in. And he says, uh, this is two words, he says, bad food. And then he goes back and does his thing for the next three years. And then he comes back in the next three years and he says this, no TV. And then he goes back. So now he's nine years in and uh, he's serving his, these next three years there at the monastery. And he comes out and he's carrying his habit and his sandals. And he comes and he says, I quit. And the guy that's the head of the monastery looks at him and he says, 
I can see why you've done nothing but complain since you've been here. Sometimes, sometimes that's the way even we as Christ followers live life. Instead of becoming the wine that he is desiring us to become, we become whiners. It's never good enough. Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? Why do bad things happen to good people? Blah, blah, blah. And we go through all of this checklist, oh, pity me, kind of whining. And the Lord has told us in 1 Peter 1, last week we dealt with it, you're my children. I have given you everything. I have given complete redemption, complete forgiveness. I'm giving you all this. But you are strangers and aliens here. You're foreigners in a place that's not your home. So while you're here, you're going to be going through these trials. I'm just being up front. That's what Peter was saying. So that's the way it is. But yet somehow we think, oh, I came to Christ. There should be no hard times in my life. Welcome to reality. It's the same truth that Peter was getting across to these people who were first century believers who were going through trials, they were going through struggles, and, and, and he tells them, listen, you're children of God. Yes, you're foreigners and aliens in a place, but this is not home. Eventually, Jesus, he even says this in the Scriptures, is going to come to judge, and he's going to make all things new and right. But while you're here, you're going to go through struggles. You're going to go through trials. But here's the good news, is that while you're here, as my children, as these kingdom people, you're going through these trials knowing that someday it's not going to be this way. So while you're here, I want to use you on mission. I want to use you as long as you're here in this foreign land. That's the same message for us today. God wants you to know he loves you deeply. And for you that have come to him, you are a child of God. You know, he just loves you immensely. Jesus has redeemed you. He shed his blood for you. He did all of that for you. And you are incredible. But you got to know this isn't home. And so don't be whining about it. Let's understand that we want to live life on mission while we're here. So that's the whole reason behind what we're looking at. But while we're here... To be used on mission, there are certain things that Peter wants to get across to these people. If you're going to do this, there are some things that you're going to have to get rid of, and there's some things that you're going to have to cling to. And so let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at just the first 10 verses, and uh, let's see what it has to say. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, now, anytime there's a therefore, you've got to know what it's there for. And it's therefore, because in chapter 1 is everything I just told you, okay? So therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, the living stone... Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, 
See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they are destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What Peter says is we kind of unpack this a little bit. So I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open and uh, jot down in the margins or on, on a piece of paper. Just some things that are going to help you to focus. But, but what Peter does is he is trying to get across to the people, while you're here, if you're going to live life on mission, there are certain things you've got to get rid of. In other words, the terminology here is actually the removing of a garment. It's, it's almost like, man, on these hot days, when you've been out mowing the yard and you're just in invisible rain, you know, you're just soaking wet, to strip off that garment, get rid of that. That's almost the picture of getting rid of this garment. What you need to do, there's certain things you need to get rid of. And uh, I look at these as individual things that he needs to get rid of in our life. And I want to look at this uh, just a little bit. And I, and I call this, we need to strip off the roadblocks. You see, the reason I call them roadblocks is, did you know, most people don't reject Jesus. They, they reject the caricature that we put forward of Jesus. And what Peter is saying here, you need to rid yourself of these things because they become roadblocks to people coming to Christ. And so he starts listing out some of these, and I, I want to look at them just, if we could, right quick. The first one he lists is malice. Now, I don't think in my lifetime I've ever used a sentence with the word malice in it. But malice, the original word, is actually a broad-term word to, to, uh, that referred to all of the sins, all of the shortcomings in your life. So he is saying you need to rid yourself of these sin areas, and he uses a broad umbrella, and then he gets more specific. He said, all deceit. Deceit is literally taking advantage of another for your benefit. That's what deceit is. So if you find yourself walking in deceit, you're deceiving somebody else, and you're deceiving them to make you think more of yourself, more highly of yourself, he said that is something you need to rid yourself of. The second one he mentions after deceit is hypocrisy. Now, we know what hypocrisy is because everybody says, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And, and you say our pastor is the number one hypocrite in our church. And so that helps right there. But, but hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is pretending. You remember as children, we used to play like we were certain things, placking. We'd play like we were a cowboy, or we'd play like we were in the army, or we'd play like certain things, fireman, policeman, uh, athlete, whatever. We would play like we were certain things, and that is part of this pretending. You put on a facade that is not what you really are on the inside. And, and Peter is saying you need to remove this hypocrisy that is there. The next one he mentions is envy. And... Uh, Envy 
actually refers to the sin of comparison. Let me take a detour here a minute. I believe this sin is destroying a generation. The sin of comparison. What we do is the most important things that we go through uh, on all of the World Wide Web, the Internet, is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, those kind of things. Because why? Because they project something that's not reality. And what we do is we buy into it and we compare ourselves to everybody else. We compare our worst day to somebody's made-up best day. I, I had a friend who I read a Facebook post. This was a couple of years ago. And the Facebook post was glowing about his wife. And I thought, that's interesting. And the next thing I know, I checked my email and I had an email from him in there saying, Mark, please pray. I think our marriage is over. Something had been projected, but the reality was not there. And so what we do is we compare ourselves to that. We compare ourselves to Twitter. We compare ourselves to Instagram. And so we see these pictures and we think, man, they have their life together. And look at me. Look at who I'm married to. And look, you know, we're not... And so what happens is, is we have this envy that's eating us up. Pastors do the same thing. You know, we hear about another church. They're, man, they're, they're baptizing tons of people. And you think, well, man, they're building a new building. They're, they're, man, they're busting at the seams. They're having to start a new service and all this kind of stuff. And we start thinking, well, I'm not doing anything. God's not using me. And so we start the sin of comparison. He says, you need to rid yourself of that envy. And then he mentions one more. He mentions slander. And what slander is, he's slander is actually putting someone else down so that I look better because of it. And so what Peter is saying is, you need to rid yourself of these things. Because they're, and I don't think he's just talking to people out there. I think he's talking to Christians within the church. You need to quit this because what it's doing is a roadblock to people coming to Christ. You need to clean this stuff up. And uh, I tell you what it's kind of like is that the Queen Mary, the, the, uh, the cr- cruise liner, the luxury liner that had been in existence for years, it actually got uh, con- converted to haul troops during World War II. And they discovered when they started to renovate the Queen, Queen Mary that they took the smokestacks off and they set them on the dock and they crumbled. Because what had happened is, is that for years... What was the original smokestacks had rusted away, and all that was left was 30 years of coats of paint. And so it crumbled. Many people have lost, actually, the root of the foundation. I'm not saying it's not there, but we have put on so many facades that were crumbling. And what Peter is saying, you need to get out of the way, and this is the way things you need to get rid of. But... He comes back and he says this. He says, but you need to crave certain things. There there are certain cravings that I want you to have. In other words, crave the spiritual milk is what he's saying. And, and possibly these were new converts, and that's the reason he calls them like newborn babies. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that milk was that 
sustaining, that milk was that energy. Milk was the thing that was going to make you grow, right? Milk makes you grow. And so that's why he uses the pure spiritual milk here. And, and uh, here's the deal. You are to grow in your maturity. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But you are to be growing in your maturity. And part of that milk is the Word of God. The truth, ultimate truth. Most people battle with having an absolute truth. Because we live in a day where everybody can say what they want. My truth is as valuable, as, as valued as your truth. You need to accept my truth just like I, I will not accept your truth, kind of the day we live in. But God's truth is God's truth. And he is saying you need to get back as newborn babes. You need to crave this pure spiritual milk. Now, craving is an interesting thing. We, we crave certain things. You go to the movie. You've just had a big meal. You walk into the theater. What do you crave? Popcorn. Uh, good night. I mean, it's just one of those things. Uh, another craving that's in most men, smell bacon. Golly. The craving is just there, the craving. But this craving for the pure spiritual milk, how does that really come off? How can we have that craving? There was an arrogant man that came to Socrates, and he said, he said he wanted to know ultimate wisdom. He wanted to have ultimate wisdom. And uh, Socrates saw the arrogance in this young man, so he said, come with me. And they walked out waist deep into a river, and he said, what is it that you crave? He said, I want wisdom. He said, okay. And Socrates took his head, and he plunged him underwater. And he held him under there for about 30 seconds, and the guy comes up and kind of gasping. He says, now, what is it you want? He said, I want wisdom. He said, okay. Plunged him back under again. Held his head under a little bit longer and then let him up. And he says, now, what is it that you really want? He said, I really want wisdom. Plunged him under again. And uh, he held him under about 30 more seconds and then lifted him out. He says, he says, what do you want? And he gasped. He said, I want to breathe. And Socrates says, when you crave wisdom as much as you crave your next breath, you will receive wisdom. Now, Socrates didn't probably know it at the time, but wisdom is the thought of God. It is truly God. And so how can we come to that point where, God, I crave you. I crave to know you as much as I crave my next breath. I'm going to, I'm going to list out. I think this will be helpful for you. I, I, I just want to give you five uh, things I think that will help you in your craving for spiritual milk. Uh, and so you can kind of jot these down. Number one is this. You need to remind yourself how much God loves you. You need to remind yourself how much God loves you. Listen, we were totally depraved. We totally separated from God. If God did not take the initiative to love us and send Jesus, we don't have a chance. And so we are reminded constantly of the love of God that he has for us. It, let, me, let me bring it down to a bite size that you can handle. You know, when you were little, your parents would have you do certain things that you didn't necessarily like, but because you, loved your, you knew the love of your parents, you would accept them. Eat your vegetables. Oh, good night. You know, but love, my mom loves me. She cares for me. Brush my teeth. Wow. Take a bath. Woo. We did not crave these things as children, but we trusted our mom because she loved us so much. We can trust our Heavenly Father because He loves us so much. Number two is this. Stop filling up on junk food. 
We live in a day where we just are full of junk food. We, instead of uh, 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 abiding by the truth of God's word, what we do is we feed on uh, the Internet a bunch of junks that we get on there. Most of you have done this because I've done this. You go searching something on the Internet, and the next thing you know, two hours later, you're back reading some of the most junk that you could ever read. But you've spent two hours of your life. And so we got to cut the junk food out. Here's another thought about junk food. When you get up in the morning, what do we do? We read the news headlines. We check the weather. We read the sports scores right off the bat. We're depressed before we get out of bed. Instead of craving the milk of God, saying, God, you have hope for me today. You have direction for me today. So we need to cut the junk food. Thirdly is this. We need to make God our one thing. All of us have a one thing. The one thing that we're after. King David had the one thing. This one thing I seek. The Apostle Paul said uh, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. This is the one thing that I seek. There's many things that are grabbing for our attention. But if we can come, God, this is the one thing. This is the one thing. There may be times I stumble. There may be times that I lose my attention. But, God, you are my one thing. And today, you just want to be reminded, God, you are my one thing. And you come back to that right there. Number four, get into God's Word daily. Or maybe I ought to say it this way, get God's Word into you daily. There's people I know that have read the whole of Scriptures, but it did not get into them and change them. You need to get into the Word daily. And I I don't know what that means for you. We talk about it every year. Sometimes you bite it off, and many of you say, January 1, this year I'm going to read the Bible all the way through this year, and then you get back to, you know, it's just like exercise. You get to... February and you've you've uh, lost course. You need to find a plan. You need to get into God's word daily and let God's word get into you and saturate you and change you and to see your mind change and see your attitude change. And then the fifth one, if you're writing down notes, number one was remind yourself how much God loves you. Two, stop filling up on junk food. Three, make God your one thing. Four, get into God's word daily. And then the fifth one is this. Your appetite is influenced by association. Your appetite is influenced by association. In other words, get around hungry people. Get around some other people that are craving this pure spiritual milk, and I guarantee you, you'll catch the bug. It's like they have this thing about them that's hungering for more of God. And, and it's not an arrogance, it's a humility. And you're saying, man, that is the right deal. I want to be around that person because they make me better. So you need to change your environment. When we, what do we do when we get, start feeling conviction and guilt? We usually hang around other people that, make, that, that, that are doing the same thing. Listen, if you want to take that the other direction, you hang around people that are hungry. And you see what God will do. You become... This is the way I look at it. Let's become contagious. Do other people actually want what you got? Become contagious for the things of God. So that's an individual. And then, then he starts talking about corporate, corporately, these people together. And uh, I want to just share with you a couple of things that he says. First of all, he talks about in verse 4 that Jesus is the living stone. And then in verse 5, he says, we are like living stones. And what that literally means is, is that God is constructing an eternal temple, not physical temple, 
but it's made up of his children, of his people. And what he is doing is, and I know this is hard to grasp, but he is using your time on this planet Earth to prepare you for the kingdom temple you're going to be a part of. That's always a struggle. In the Old Testament, if you've ever read about the construction of the temple, what they used to do is they would not carve the stones within the temple property. They would do it away and then bring the stones to the location where it was going to be in Jerusalem. That's the same thing God is doing with us. I don't know if you're going to be here 80 years or 18 years. We're not guaranteed. But what God is doing is He is molding and making you here, fitting you into something bigger than you could ever imagine. And that's what He's doing. We are living stones. Um, Let me share with you a couple of others that He lists. Also in verse 5, He says, You are a holy priesthood. If you were to go to verse 9, He calls it a royal priesthood. And that's foreign to us. We think, okay, you are a royal priest. Uh, That just does not register in us very well. But royal means kingdom. So we are part of a kingdom and we are part of a priesthood. But a priest, what he does is he represents somebody else before God. Have you ever thought about your life this way? And I want you to grab this. You could be the only presentation of the kingdom of God that some people will ever see. In your school in your workplace, in your neighborhood, at the soccer fields, at the Little League fields. You are are God's representative there. You're a royal kingdom. He thinks highly of us, doesn't he? He thinks highly that we are his representatives right here on earth. The Latin word for priest actually uh, goes back to the original word for bridge builder. In other words, you and I could be the building of the bridge for somebody else to, to come to an eternal impact with God. You and me. That's what he says. You are royal priests. You're living stones. You're royal priests. He mentions a few more there. He, he calls us a holy nation. But I love in verse 9 he says this. You are God's special possession. You're special. You are God's special possession. I love that. It's a term of endearment, really. I mean, that he loves us and we are special to him. Don't you? Man, he thinks so much of us. Isn't that crazy? We look in the mirror and think, whoa. But he says, man, that's my special position. That's my masterpiece that I'm working on right there. If you've ever gone to a museum, let's say we go down to LBJ Museum or or President Bush's Museum in College Station or whatever. We We go to the museum. What you see is, is you see certain possessions that the president, he's not there. You see these possessions. You see maybe a pipe that he smoked or a pen that he used or glasses that he wore or the TV that he saw or the journal he wrote in. You see all these special possessions that, that develop. It, they, aren't the, they aren't the president. They just were tools in the hands of the president. Oh, here's where I'm going. Your tools in the hands of Almighty God. He thinks so highly of you that you are special possessions that he wants to use. Some of you are thinking, well, Mark, I screw up all the time. I'm not a very good possession. Well, we're ridding ourselves and we're coming to this craving of the spiritual milk and we're being fit together with other people. There was a, there was a lady by the name of Katie McCabe. 
And she talked about her mentor, and his name was Charles Savage. And she said he was one of those guys who changed the room simply by walking into it. He believed so completely in his many students and colleagues that we had no choice but to believe in it ourselves. And she began to say, the rest of my life, I was inspired and encouraged and challenged by this man. And I wanted to, in the next 15 years, I wanted to do everything I could to attempt to become the person he saw in me. God has said it. Man, you are living stones. You're a holy nation. You're royal priests. You're my special possession. And we look in God and say, God, did you make a mistake? And he said, no, didn't make a mistake. I'm still working on them. There's some of them that haven't gone very far, but still working, still working. We are his special possessions that he wants to use. God, let me live up to this, what you, the way you see me. So what? What does this mean to you and me? Um, I, I have to ask myself, so what does this mean? What does this mean on Monday? We talk about it on Sunday, but what does it mean for me today? Three quick things. Number one is this. Life is a process of growing. Life is a process of growing spiritually. You, yeah, you're always going to grow physically, especially your ears and nose. I've, I've, I've heard that, that your ears and nose grow till you die. Um, only in men, is that what it is? So I've heard that. But, but spiritually, we grow until the Lord takes us out of here. You know something? That tells me we need to have some grace with one another. We need to apologize for taking young believers and making them the billboard for the church. They're in, a, they're in an intensive care that we have to help them grow into what God is making them. What's sad is to know people that came to Christ, they said they came to Christ at 8 or 18, and now they're on in life and they haven't grown very much. But you see somebody else that comes to Christ later on and they just excel in their growth. Let me tell you, we are in, all in process in this room, okay? You can look at the person next to you and say, wow, they're in process. But that is what is taking place. So life is a process of growing. The second so what is this. We need, as long as we're here, we need to be available and usable. Available and usable. What I'm discovering today is many people who are Christians, the Lord is wanting to use them, and He's given them these nudges. You know, we talk about these nudges. The Holy Spirit nudges you towards something. And the first thing we do is we start reasoning Oh, I don't have those talents. I don't have that ability. I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can train well enough to do that. And God is saying, oh, man, I'm nudging you. I'm the one that's going to give you the strength to do it. I'm going to empower you to do it. If you could do it in your own strength, how does God get glory out of that? And he's nudging us, but we are making excuses. And so it's time for us to come back and say, God, I need to be available and usable to you. You can use me. Let me give you a thought here. It doesn't matter what you've done. He can still use you. Please hear that. Somebody needs to hear that today. Because you put yourself on the sidelines thinking that God cannot use you. And it's time for you to back up and say, God, you can use me. 
The third so what that I want to give you is this. Growth begins with a decision. It begins with a decision. You're going to make a decision. You're going to, you're going to say, what do I need to put away in my life? What can I do to increase my hunger in life? What can I do to make myself more available and usable to God in this life? See, I, I'm, I'm talking about this, and, and while you're in here, you're thinking, yeah, man, I, I hear what you're saying, Mark, you're right on. And then we're going to walk to our car in 150 degrees, and it, we're going to lose it before we get to our car. And so what I'm going to do is that little piece of paper that I've given you when you came in, you're going to make a decision today. I can't make it for you. Oh, somebody will make it for you if you don't make it. In fact, Eleanor Roosevelt said this. She said, one's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is expressed in the choices one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die. And the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. God's word is truth. He's challenged us today. There are certain things you need to rid yourselves of to, that are roadblocks, and there are certain things that you need to crave, which are spiritual milk, and you need to get yourself in position because this is how God sees us. And he loves us. But you've got to make the decision. Ronald Reagan, who was president of the United States, said many people keep saying, when's the next Ronald Reagan going to come? Ronald Reagan, when he was a child, they used to, they would go to a cobbler who would make their shoes. So Ronald Reagan's mom took him to the cobbler to make the shoes. And the, the cobbler asked him, said, uh, would you like them round-toed or square-toed? Ronald Reagan battled with that and he said, uh, he said, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to, to choose. And he says, well, let me know. Ronald Reagan, the guy asked him again, well, do you want round toes? He said, I just don't know. The cobbler said, okay, I'll take care of it. Ronald Reagan came to pick his shoes up. One was round toed. One was square toed. Ronald Reagan said at that point, he learned that if you don't make a decision, something will make it for you. My challenge to you today is what is your decision today? You can just write it down. And you're saying, well, Mark, I'll just put it in my notes in my phone. That's great. Somebody say, I, I, I'll think about it later. No, you won't. You will not. And if you don't write it down, you'll just let it float away. So I'm challenging you right now. Make a decision. What are you going to, what may be God saying? You need to rid this in your life. Or you need to crave. This, this will help your craving. And just write it down. Or, or what is, he's saying you need to be usable and available. What, what is he, what's he challenging you today? Make a decision. If not, something will make it. This world will make it for you. Twitter will make it for you. Facebook will make it for you. They'll tell you what to believe. You'll feel lousy about yourself. 
the one who loves your soul, that calls you a holy nation, a royal priesthood, special possessions. Let's listen to him. Thank you.